welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast where we embrace and explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our everyday, ordinary lives as Catholic women. I'm Chloe Langer, and in today's episode, I'm sitting down with Adele Collins, and we are talking about how to discern a relationship with someone who isn't Catholic, her marriage with her husband, Ben, and how she lives out the feminine genius as a Catholic wife and mother to seven kids, six girls, and one boy. This conversation with Adele was over a year in the making, and it was such a joy to get to know her better, and I cannot wait to share her story and her love of her husband and her family with you in today's episode. If you're discerning whether or not to date someone who doesn't share your Catholic faith, or you're married to a non-Catholic and you're desiring someone to rejoice in the joys and accompany you in the challenges, sister, this letter is for you. We're welcoming to the show Adele Collins. She lives in Virginia with her sweetheart, Ben, and their seven little ones. And you probably know her from her account, Simple Life Musings, over on Instagram, where she shares her family's Sunday best, some amazing saint quotes, and the absolute beauty of Catholicism. Adele, welcome to Letters to Women. It is so good to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Chloe. I'm so happy to be here. Today, we're going to be having a conversation about what it looks like to date and marry someone who isn't Catholic. And we're going to be chatting about how to discern a relationship and what it looks like to trust in God's work in our lives and in the lives of others. But to start us off, Adele, can you tell us a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Sure. So I um, was fortunate to be raised in a very devout Polish Catholic family here in Virginia, um, where faith was really a central tenant of my childhood. We prayed together, we went to mass together. um, And really, my formation um, was started and um, just furthered so much in my household, um, especially with my dad, who in Poland was trained as a theologian. So he has a theology background. So I think I just took for granted the richness of my childhood where he would tell me stories of the saints or he would like discuss uh, phenomenology with me and my sister. Um, so we were really fortunate in that way to just have the, the beauty and truth of Catholicism all around us. Um, that being said, I always went to public schools. So there was always this sense that I had this gift at home of what the Catholic faith was, and that did not match up with what I was interacting with. And um, the maybe the friends that I had were largely not Catholic. Um, certainly what we learned in school did not always align with my Catholic faith. Um, so that was really true throughout my, my entire education was in secular public schools. Um, so, but that being said, I, my faith still managed to flourish, um, just through the great parish life that we have here. We're in the Arlington diocese, which is a fantastic diocese. Um, and just having mentors, um, the domestic church with my family. Um, so I had a strong identity as a Catholic woman early on. Um, and that was something that I think that my friends knew about, and I did find a few good friends um, at school and in my parish, my community, who kind of helped me to um, feel like I wasn't the only one in the whole world that was Catholic. (laughs) Um, So um, Ben, my husband, who we're going to be talking about our marriage and our relationship today, actually entered into my life fairly early because we met in high school. So we sat next to each other in our 10th grade humanities class. Um, and we knew each other in our Catholic, in our um, public school, in our public high school. Um, there weren't any Catholic organizations on campus, but there was the FCA, which was like an evangelical Christian organization, which both Ben and I were a part of. Um, and so I had known him through that. 
um, and got to know him that year in the 10th grade and knew him as a person of very strong faith and very good character. I actually remember once my dad, we used to have these like theology tea times with him and my sister and I, and one week he asked um, us like, girls, is there anybody that you know at school who is just a really upstanding person who sort of embodies the virtues that you would strive for in your life? You know, that who who's really, and especially um, boys, are there any boys like this? Um, and I remember both me and my sister, my sister was two years older than me at the same high school, um, like Ben popped into mind right away. We were like, he is the person that really embodies these virtues. So there was just something that really drew me to him. Um, and as we got became friends um, and got to know one another over the course of the year, I think that we really realized that we were kind of like-hearted individuals. Like we um, just kind of approached things from a similar perspective. We were also um, lighthearted. Like we were, you know, kind of Ben um, is a very like funny, playful person. Um, so we became, had this very close friendship. Um, and at the end of that year, um, we started an actual relationship Like we started dating. But um, my dad will tell the story that the first time he met Ben, um, they were like friends hanging out together in my house or something like that. Um, but right away afterwards, he came up to me and said, Adele, you have permission to marry this boy. Oh. <laughs> and I guess he like, which is so funny. We were 15, you know, 15 <laughs> and 16. So um, I guess he saw it in him too. So it's kind of a funny um, story. I was probably rolling my eyes at him. Um, <laughs> but so the, the thing about um, our relationship is we started dating so early that I don't think that anyone would realistically have expected us to get married. That being said, um, in, so Ben was raised evangelical in a very devout, beautiful evangelical family. And um, in his community, dating was really frowned upon. This was, I think, especially true at that moment in time. It was more like, if you're going to be in a relationship with somebody, it needs to be a courtship where you're like looking towards the future, where you're discerning marriage. So that whole year that Ben and I were really good friends, I remember thinking, why isn't this guy asking me out? Like this, you know, it sort of seems like we really like each other. We're hanging out together a lot. And so what I didn't realize at the time was like that year, Ben literally was discerning whether he wanted to marry me. So like when he, by the end of that year, you know, when he asked me out in his mind, he was really, and like we were entering into a courtship relationship where we were really serious. So, um, so anyway, we, um, we did have that kind of serious, um, a spiritual dimension. Uh, we shared a faith. So we would pray together. We would read the Bible together. Um, but there was always this sense that I was Catholic and he was evangelical. So there was that difference. Um, but I don't think as kids, we really thought through what does this mean for our marriage? What does it mean for our family? Um, because, you know, for us, we were just, like a couple of high schoolers dating each other. Really looking back on it, I can see the way that over the next several years, that God, that the Holy Spirit really worked in our hearts and brought us closer together. And ultimately, many years later, brought Ben to the church. So that was a long process because um, I haven't done the math, but I'm trying to think now. Ben has been Catholic for 10 years. So that was probably like from the moment we started dating, it was probably about 10 years until he became Catholic. So 
before he became Catholic, we dated, we went to college in the same town. We both went to college in Atlanta. We got married during college. We started a family and it was when I was expecting our second daughter that he surprised everyone by saying he wanted to become Catholic. So there's a lot of things that happened between that first, you know, first date when we started dating and his entering into the church. So we can talk a little bit about that because um, I think that there's for young women out there who maybe are discerning a relationship with somebody who isn't Catholic, who might be Protestant, might be a totally different faith altogether, or might be just secular, atheist, you know, has no faith. I think it's important to think about more specific things as far as what does this look like? What does this mean for your marriage? What does it mean for your family? Um, So I'm looking forward to chatting with you about some of that stuff today. There's so many endearing things about that story, but I love your dad's theology tea time. That is just so, oh my stars, that's so (laughs) wonderful. A lot of times when women come to me as friends or even just through social media, reaching out through Instagram and things, um, one of the questions that they ask as they're discerning a a potential relationship with someone who is not Catholic is, what does the Catholic church say about dating someone who's not Catholic. So before we dig into you and Ben's story, could we first have a a little bit of a conversation about what the Catholic Church does teach about marrying someone who isn't a Catholic? Absolutely. So for us as Catholics, marriage is not just a legal document. It's not just going to the courthouse. It is actually one of the sacraments. So in order to be married in the Catholic Church and receive it as a sacrament, both spouses have to go through marriage preparation together and uh, very importantly, uh, the non, if there's a non-Catholic, uh, if one member of marriage is non-Catholic, um, they have to agree to raise the children within the church. Um, so that's something that we were fortunate to have a priest that didn't beat around the bush and really kind of laid this out. And we knew that to be true. I think that by that point, by the time we got married, um, Ben really did feel this attraction to the Catholic church. So he was happy to come to Mass with me to agree that our children would go to Mass. I know for other couples, this is a real sticking point, because if you can imagine that somebody is from a, has a strong faith that is not Catholic, the idea that you would have to like raise your children, have them receive the sacraments um, in the Catholic Church, um, what it really requires is um, submission. You know, as we as Catholics know, there's so many times that we submit our will to God's will for us. Um, So that is a really central and important part of the sacrament of marriage um, when there is a Catholic and a non-Catholic that are getting married together. What were those conversations like? You mentioned this conversation about raising children Catholic, but then I'm thinking about maybe some of the the sticking points in discerning a, a marriage, especially with someone who isn't Catholic, like ideas like contraception. Did you and Ben have conversations about more of the sticking subjects about Catholicism during your dating and, and marriage? Or were those conversations that came during his conversion process after you guys had gotten married? What did that look like in your story? Yeah, that's a great question. So some of the things we did talk about, but we got married when we were very young. So I was 20. It was the day before my 21st birthday and Ben was 21. It was before our senior year in college. And looking back on it, I realized that there's so many questions and issues that I would advise one of my daughters or a friend who's younger to talk about in a dating relationship that we just kind of figured we'd deal with it when it when it arose. Um, but there were, I mean, our first, um, so we went through marriage prep and we were kind of on the same page about everything. And I remember overhearing 
at our wedding, at our wedding ceremony that Ben was talking to my uncle and my uncle was like, are you guys going to have kids right away? You guys are, you know, really young where, where we come from. We're from the DC area. So it's kind of this metropolitan area. People do not get married young. It was people were like, are, are you pregnant? You know, what's going on? Um, and Ben was like, no, no, no. You know, we are absolutely not getting pregnant right now. And so on our honeymoon, we had our first argument and it was really me saying like, Ben, do you remember when we were in marriage prep that we said that we were always going to be, that we could never say we are absolutely not going to have children, that that we cannot just say no, but that was so foreign from a Protestant perspective. That is a huge difference. Even though there's, I have so many dear Protestant friends, uh, family members, and there's so much that we have in common. Especially, I will say that there are really a lot of very strong evangelical marriages that I I admire. But that being said, one of the very unique gifts of truth that we have as Catholic is the theology of the body and the truth about the intended purpose of marriage. And that was something that it took a lot of discussion having, and it wasn't actually until so we moved up to Boston. Um, I was in grad school at Harvard. Ben was working his first job. And even at that point, I remember there was always this tension between openness to having a family and a contraceptive mentality. And that was something that it took years for us to come to agreement to as a couple. I had no idea that it was something that was so, because I think the, the tricky thing is in a Protestant setting, you could have somebody who was a very faithful Protestant, even a pastor of a church who really advocates for the use of contraception, that that's viewed as something that's fine. It's not a problem. And of course, we as Catholics don't believe that to be true. Um, and there are exceptions. Um, certainly, there are Protestants who you know, embrace theology of the body. Um, but so that was something that like, we didn't really have shared opinions on until several years into our marriage and it resulted in a lot of pain and suffering and heartbreak and arguments. So that's something that I would absolutely say is central. It's super important as a Catholic woman or a Catholic man in a dating relationship to have those conversations early, to really talk about it, because it's not just a difference of an understanding of what we're going to do when we're married, but it's an understanding of what a different understanding of what marriage is where the free gift of self to one another is such a radical idea and it's such a beautiful idea um, that it's just, it's a loss to have a marriage that lacks that, you know? I like too what you're saying about you and Ben's relationship was that it wasn't just a one and done conversation. It wasn't like this argument is resolved during the honeymoon. It was something that you, you both wrestled with in your marriage for, for multiple, multiple conversations. Absolutely. So it was actually after our daughter Lily was born, um, which is the same time I, Ben was received into the church a week before Lily was born. Um, so it was after she was born that I learned a real method of NFP for the first time. Um, so, and then I think also the beautiful thing I will say about marriage is that it is filled with sacramental grace. So there are graces in marriage that are available to you that are not there when you're dating or friends with somebody. So to this day, I really credit, cause I wasn't a strong apologist for the faith in our 
marriage. In fact, I had a strong feeling. I did not want Ben to convert because of me, because I really wanted him to have an authentic conversion. I really wanted him to, you know, believe in the tenets of Catholicism um, and kind of come to it on his own. So I did bring him to mass with me and he was happy. He really liked coming to mass with me. We had a lot of Catholic friends in common, um, but I did not want to, because he's a really nice guy. So I feel like if I came to him and said, please, would you become Catholic? He'd probably think about it, but I really didn't want him to do it for that reason. Um, so, um, so he became Catholic of his own volition. I hadn't really, I truly believe it was the sacramental grace of marriage um, and just the proximity to the Holy Mass. I think coming to Mass with me um, and the grace of marriage, he he just couldn't come up against that. All of that was just too, <laughs> it was just too strong a draw to the church to say no. <laughs> that truth, goodness, and beauty, it pulls you in. I know. It's irresistible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you mentioned earlier on in our conversation that if you were to sit down with your daughters or friends and they were asking you for advice about dating a non-Catholic, that you would have have things to mention that maybe you didn't talk about before you got married, but you would advise talking about after your experience of marriage and now that you're living this vocation. If someone came and asked you for your top pieces of advice, what would you say to a woman who's listening and thinking about whether she should be in a relationship with someone who's not a Catholic? So I would say the first thing to consider is exactly what my dad had asked us in that theology tea time when he had said, like, what are the characteristics of a really godly, virtuous man? Are those present in this person that you're considering dating? And that might be true for somebody who's not Catholic. It might be especially true for somebody who is Catholic. Um, but I think just that idea that the person is submitting themselves to God's will for their life is so important because Ultimately, God is drawing us all towards himself. God is drawing each of our children towards himself. He's drawing our spouses towards himself. So if there is a submission to God's pull in our life, you're going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like that ultimately I didn't have to convert Ben. He was like submitting to the call of God in his own life. He would be a better person to talk about the details of his conversion and what that looked like and continued conversion because we're all called to you know can re reconverting drawing closer and closer to god so but i feel like that's a very important trait that being said once you're going on dates with somebody or maybe even entering into a relationship like boyfriend girlfriend with somebody i would say that talking about and understanding the practicalities of marriage family life is really important so things like you know having a conversation um like what will our day-to-day -day life look like in our marriage? What is, what are we thinking about children? You know, so many young people have plans and we certainly did too, like plans, the capital P, like this is what we're going to do. It's like how marriage ultimately is the institution through which we welcome children. So how does that factor into this? How does God's plan for your family interfere, align, like kind of wrestling with those questions? Also, um, talking about things like contraception, like um, how many children you're open to having, how you're going to do this is, I think one of the things that ended up being a huge blessing for us is from before we were even married, Ben always was very supportive of the idea of me staying home with the kids. So that was something that was a huge gift because then when we started having kids, it was just kind of like, 
I had this freedom to stay home with them. And I know that in some other marriages, that can be a real sticking point where there's an expectation that like, no, you know, we really built our life around the expectation that both of us will have a career. So just things like that, um, praying together, I think is really great and important. We prayed together as teenagers. And then for many years, we didn't really pray together that often. We went to mass together. Um, we have kind of a crazy like reconversion, pulling us back into the faith, 100% story, which I'm happy to share with you. Um, but basically, after our son Hugo was born, we had two miscarriages in a row, and it was really heartbreaking. We had miscarried in the past, so we just knew that heartbreak. Um, and it was just a really dark time, truly dark time for both of us. Um, and, um, one of our, our last miscarriage was at 12 weeks. We went in for the 12 week appointment at the midwife. She couldn't find a heartbeat. So I went to the, you know, ultrasound that afternoon just to confirm. And it was just, um, that was like the low point. Um, and, um, so fast forward a few months of us really having kind of a dark night of the soul, just being like, where is God in this? Um, and just feeling like, forget this, you know, here we are like trying to lead these good lives. Um, why are we doing this? We should just be out there having fun. You know, like this is, we can just forget about all of this and just be young people. What, what, what's with all the guilt and the rules and all this stuff. If God isn't there with us. Um, so fast forward a few months, probably, six months later or something like that. Um, I am pregnant again. And we kind of tried to be just very like nonchalant and flippant about it. Like this will be fine. We shouldn't worry too much. But I go in for the 12 week appointment with Ben. And again, they can't find a heartbeat. And I had been spotting in the few days before going there. So it's just all the same signs. It was like checking boxes. Of, um, so um same thing. They send us to go in to get an ultrasound. Um, and on the paper, they wrote confirmation of fetal demise. Um, and so we went into the car and that was actually one of the first times in years that we really prayed together. So we just sat in the car and I remember Ben praying and him saying, dear God, please help us to accept this, help us to accept what's going on. And I don't like to think of myself as a person who interrupts other people's prayers, but I did interrupt his prayer. And I was like, no, like, please save this baby, please save this baby. Um, so we went in to get the ultrasound together um, and just had had kind of this day of preparing ourselves for it. Cause we really felt like we knew what we were. Uh, and one of the things that had been upsetting to us previously was that the ultrasound technician um, hadn't really told us what was going on. And so we kind of were just chatting with the ultrasound technician, just said, just, just so you know, like we're expecting that this is going to be that we've lost this baby. So just kind of tell us what's going on, kind of making small talk with her, this and that. Uh, and this very sweet Filipino lady. Um, so she, at one point, we're talking about our kids at home. And um, she, at one point says two and like, looks at me and I had no idea what she was talking about. So I was like, no, we have three little kids at home. And then she like kind of cocks her head to the side and is like two and looks at Ben and Ben is like, sweetheart, I think she's telling you there are two babies. Oh my gosh. And there were twins on the screen. Which like we I know. So it was like 
once you've had, it, it was a miracle. We really believe it was a miracle to this day. So once you've been given a miracle like that, I feel like it's impossible to turn away and say, forget this. You know, like you just every day of your life, every day that I look at my twin daughters, I'm reminded of God's grace to me. And at that moment in time of being not really a faithful Catholic, of being kind of a like kind of secular living millennial, you know what I mean? I, I We weren't. So just the fact that he showed us such grace at a time that we really didn't deserve it. And just so at that point in time, Ben and I both were basically all in. So we're like, we are all, we are there. We are at mass. We are returning to the sacraments. We are raising our kids in this faith. Um, so that was really the turning point in our lives. Um, so at that point, I feel like it was as if everything that we had been, you know, in the meantime, Ben had joined the church. Like we had started raising our family um, in the church and, but everything clicked. And um, so, so I'm just, I mean, of course, incredibly thankful for that. Um, incredibly humbled knowing that there are so many families who have prayed for that same miracle and have not received it. So just, you know, thinking about basically the only response I can have is just gratitude, you know, just saying, um, giving thanks for it. Um, so I think at that point, we, we just went much deeper into our faith. And that was really kind of the bookend. It wasn't probably until we returned to the sacrament of confession a few months later that that dark night of the soul was really lifted. Um, and and just at that point have learned to rely so much more on God's plan of our life for our life um, as a family, which has taken us some crazy places. Honestly, we've done like, we moved to California for four years. We like left everything. We just done some things that I think that we, without that reliance on God would never have felt comfortable doing. Oh, that's beautiful to see how that miracle, that grace of your daughters has impacted your day-to-day life, but then also how it's impacted the way that you discern as a family too. Like that's moving to California is a big discernment. Yes, absolutely. One thing that I would love to touch, touch on is sometimes when I'm chatting with friends who are, especially when they're already dating someone who's not a Catholic, they experience or express this desire. Like they have this desire for the person they're dating to know the truth and goodness and beauty of Catholicism. And there is in some, in some cases, this temptation to control that conversion or speed it up at least because there's a desire to share in this beauty. What did it look like for you to surrender Ben's conversion and your marriage to the Holy Spirit and trust God with that area. Um, yeah, especially in those days when he was discerning that conversion experience. So I guess, so looking back on it now, I realize I must have bitten my tongue a lot because the truth is that I love to talk about my Catholic faith. It's a really central part of who I am. I think that people who knew me as a teenager would have said the same thing was true. Um, but with Ben, I just always felt this deep desire to respect his own conversion, his own journey of faith. And so we did talk about it. Like we, we would discuss things or we'd talk about things or even argue in the kind of, um, you know, liberal sense of argument where you're sort of presenting your ideas and giving defenses for that, things like that. Um, so I do believe that from early on that then in his mind, before it even happened in his heart, knew that there were 
certain parts of the Catholic Church that really resonated with him that felt true. So that part, I feel like presenting, there's something um, just in, inherently evangelical about the Catholic faith because every argument will end with the Catholic Church. You know what I mean? Like it is true. So you can <laughs> uh, ultimately, if you're both open to the truth, if you're pursuing the truth, that's going to be your endpoint. So I think there was some of that at play. There, there were also, we just had, you know, meeting Catholic friends who he respected, who he respected their opinions. And for what it's worth, if you talk to him, I think for, um, I had almost the opposite inclination early on in our relationship where I didn't want to like frighten him away with my Catholicism. So I feel like I was almost presenting a modified kind of light version of Catholicism to him where I would try to play down the things that weren't really in keeping with his evangelical faith. So I would say, you know, like, let's not talk about Mary. Let's not talk about the saints. Like church is kind of, it's just a church service. It's kind of like your church service, you know, like we're really the same. And, but he will tell you um, that what really converted him, what really drew his soul into Catholicism was the richness of the Catholic faith. So I was actually doing him a disservice by shielding him from that. Because I think he was kind of like, oh, like this is kind of like a poorly organized um, Protestant church, but without as many social outings or something like that, you know, as opposed to saying, this is Jesus Christ present in the Eucharist, that this is the one holy Catholic church that you can literally trace back to Peter, you know, just all of these things. I think that um, living our faith authentically and not hiding the Catholic elements of it is inherently very, very evangelical. Because I think sometimes it's tempting in conversation with people who don't share a Catholic faith to even not even broach any subject that has to do with their faith because there's this fear of not having the answers or not saying things right and just really beautifully living and speaking into the authenticity of our Catholic faith as a witness. And that's, mm. yeah, that's beautiful. What a good reminder. Yeah. So I'm trying to think with, um, in a dating relationship, yeah. um, I would say that, um, or just kind of respecting the other person's journey, also speaking authentically and truthfully of your own faith. I also think it really is important to, to have somebody that res knows and respects your faith. So in other words, to not hide that part of it or make it something that's secret and kind of closeted off from the rest of your life or the rest of your personality. Because if somebody is going to know and love you, they must know and love the central part of your life, you know? So in, I think that that's so important too, is not to say like, I'll go to mass on Sunday, but that's just this little thing that I do. And like the rest of the time, but to allow your faith to really permeate into the other aspects of your life. At that point, your life becomes a witness to your spouse or your friends. You don't have to, it's that whole, you know, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. Like when you are truly living the faith, um, I think that is evident even when your spouse might not, or not your spouse, but your um, boyfriend, the person that you're going on dates with might not be Catholic. Yeah. Yeah. That integration of, of Catholicism into your daily life and having that yes. be the witness. Mm, that's so important. Do you have any advice for a woman who's listening who has already discerned the dating relationship and is currently married to someone who isn't Catholic or additional advice um, that you would give her? Prayer. I would say absolutely prayer. Um, because honestly, for those years that Ben wasn't Catholic and I really didn't want to be 
overbearing and kind of bullying him into converting. I would say that just praying for your spouse is incredibly powerful. Um, so, and also giving them opportunities to be close to the sacraments, be close to the faith. So just start with where they're at. So maybe they are open to coming to mass with you on holidays. Um, maybe they are open to, there's just a lot of great opportunities. Let's say that they're interested in like reading books. Maybe there's a Catholic book club that they could join or just different ways. I also think that for men, it's incredibly important to have Catholic men that they're surrounded with. Um, so that is something that it's been, we've had Catholic friends here and there. We sort of moved around. We're incredibly blessed with a very strong Catholic community right now in the DC area. And I think that for Ben, it's incredibly important to have Catholic men that he goes to for fellowship and also just to learn to be friends with them, to hang out with them. And for me, it's really important to have Catholic women that I can go to and get that same um, fellowship. So I would say that that would be really important. Also, holy priests. There's so many good and holy priests that are great guys that I like are happy to hang out. We, I don't think we really hung out. We hung out with priests, some in California, but we hang out with our priests here in Arlington or chat with them and just really feel thankful for the spiritual formation that they offer. And I feel like their job is literally fishing for souls. Like they are open to that. And so just having a priest over, you know, playing a board game with him, having him over for dinner, something like that, just having, cause these are the great resources that we have as Catholics that, um, you know, are, are available to everyone. There's so many different entry points. Not every person is going to um, approach the faith from the same perspective. So there are some people who are really attracted to the intellectual tradition and the, just the intellectual consistency of Catholicism. I would say that that was Ben in part, that he was just very attracted to the kind of intellectualism of Catholicism. And it just really made logical sense to him. But there's other people that the beauty of Catholicism, whether it's, I mean, go to any museum and there will probably be a wing of sacred art. Um, like the, the literal beauty or go to a cathedral. Um, beauty is so evangelical or it could be sacred music. You know, I remember when we were even dating and Ben wasn't Catholic, he would come with me regularly to masses that had beautiful organ music because he just thought it was gorgeous, you know, and just go like all of those things. So the beauty can be an entry point. For some people, it will be the Eucharist is just a very um, kind of magnetic source of conversion for people, just the reality of that. Um, so there's just a lot of different ways. And I think um, knowing and loving your spouse um, and just not trying to convince them, but just bringing them close to these different things that will inherently convert their souls. Yeah, I think it's so beautiful to have that conversion unfold within the context of a sacramental marriage, because like you were saying, like this is your goal is, is as a married couple is to help each other to heaven and to know your spouse. And I think also just uh, letting go of control of it and realizing that ultimately God is the one that is drawing your spouse towards himself, that ultimately the Holy Spirit is working in your life. So it's not your job. It's not like you have to work every day and try so hard. It's really about allowing 
God and the Holy Spirit to work through you. That's all that, that we're asked to do. So I feel like that can take the stress off of it. I think for some people, they feel this sense that if their spouse hasn't converted, that they failed or that they, you know, haven't been a strong enough witness of the faith. And the truth is that God is drawing your spouse closer to himself, um, that we pray for our spouses. We do everything we can. We try to, you know, love is willing the good of the other. So we do whatever we can um, to make our spouse more like God, more God-like, more reflection of God's image. But ultimately, um, it's not our work and we're not, you know, individually responsible for whether or not they're going to mass or whatever it is that God is drawing, that they are on their own journey. They are God's beloved child and he is pursuing them too. Yeah. And the freedom that comes from being able to be receptive to what that journey looks like in their life, especially when it's not, it doesn't look like what you planned. Yes, absolutely. Adele, the one question that I ask every guest on the show as we explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our daily life, and you've spoken into it so beautifully. I've seen it as the thread weaving throughout our conversation, but I'd love to hear about how you live out the feminine genius as a woman who's pursuing holiness in your marriage and in your family. I would say for me, the feminine genius really came flooding into my life through motherhood, that it was, I remember the first Um, When we had our first baby, we were young, we were in our early 20s, and just feeling this, even though I was probably like tired, hadn't showered, it was a disaster, but just feeling this incredible presence and like beauty of God in my life through motherhood. Um, And I think that just leaning into that and feeling the just incredible trust that God gives us as women um, through the gift of motherhood is the specific way that I've lived it out. Um, I think in a larger sense, there's something um, very inherently creative about the feminine genius that um, as mothers, we partner with God to be physical creators of new life within our own bodies. Um, and that's just an incredible gift. And I think for women who aren't mothers, but are living out a spiritual motherhood in some other way, that there's that same creative force at work in their lives, whether it's, you know, being a religious sister, working in the world at a job, um, that that God really has um, given us this desire to um, kind of love and care for and build relationships with those around us, um, whether it's through motherhood or friendship or sisterhood, daughterhood. Um, So I feel like that, has really been the fabric of my life for the past several years. And it has been just such a joyful journey of letting go of ambitions that I might've had or aspirations or kind of, you know, boxes I felt like I needed to check and allowing myself to experience this journey of love in my life has been beautiful. And it has really been so deeply satisfying in a way that, I couldn't have really imagined would be true. Um, So I think that's true for me. I also have a special, I feel like I have a unique way of living the feminine genius. I have a lot of daughters. So we have seven kids. We have six daughters and one son. So when I was in college, I always 
would pray. I always want, you know, I wanted to have a big family and I would always pray specifically for daughters. Cause I just, something about, I have a sister and we're really close. My mom has a sister and they're really close. So just kind of having many generations of really close bonds between women. I just always prayed for a daughter. So every time I would go on a run in college, as I was running, I would just pray. I would be like, please God, you know, give me a daughter, give me a daughter. So we joke that like those prayers were definitely heard because here we are, we have six daughters and one son who we love as well. Um, but I think just seeing in my girls um, how unique that feminine genius is, how uniquely it manifests itself in different lives and different personalities, uh, which is so beautiful because it's not like there is one mold that you know, we're each stamped out of, but each of us is unique and uniquely feminine. And, um, that can, you know, I love beauty. I love like dresses or I've, I always growing up love putting makeup on or, you know, stuff like that. Um, but there's, um, so I kind of like the traditionally girly stuff, but I also see the feminine genius in my daughters that, might not be like that, might be more kind of sporty, like to be running around outside, but really like have a special place in their heart to care for somebody who's hurt or who needs attention. Um, or even I think seeing the way that the feminine genius can uh, influence study, you know, or um, learning the way that we have this special perspective on how to like, integrate different disciplines because we're always looking for those relationships. So I feel like that's just seeing that in these past several months of quarantine as we've been homeschooling at home. Um, it's really beautiful to see that that's true too. Um, so yes, we have it. My life is a study in the feminine genius. That <laughs> is girls. beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so beautiful. A study in the feminine genius. Adele. I loved getting the chance to get to know you and just your joy and delight and love of your family. You can just hear it in your voice as you share it. So thanks so much for coming on the show and sharing about your marriage with Ben and your beautiful witness of your motherhood with your family too. This has been a delight. Thank you so much. I love this ministry. I love Pope John Paul II and his letters to women. So this, I just love the way that you explore the various dimensions of femininity and the feminine genius and give a voice to so many different women's experiences. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Letters to Women. Head over to my blog, oldfashionedgirlblog.com, and you're going to find the links to everything we mentioned in today's episode, including links to Adele's gorgeous Instagram account, which you should definitely be following. If you have a spare minute, it would mean the world to me if you would rate and review Letters to Women over on iTunes. I love reading your thoughts and your reviews help other women discover our conversations on The Feminine Genius. And if you know a friend who would love this episode, can you send it your way? That is all I have for this week's episode. There are so many amazing conversations that I have recorded for you this summer, so make sure you're subscribed on your favorite podcast platform so that you do not miss new content. Until next time, be not afraid.